Welcome again to Grace Church of Philly. Most of us have our masks today. It's tough to sing with a mask though, and it's even tougher to preach with a mask. We're glad you could join us. We are especially glad for those that have gathered here this morning. As I said earlier, this is as it should be, as God ordained that God's people that gather together on the Lord's day. And uh, I'm glad that some of you uh, felt good enough to come back. So welcome to Grace Church and welcome for, for, to those who are watching at home, both here in the U.S. and uh, I know some are watching in Cameroon and Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and we welcome you also. I am back in James chapter one again, talking about uh, how we ought to have a joyful faith that God is working in the midst of our trials. A joyful faith James calls us to. As you know, James is writing about the practical outworking of faith. Paul writes about our standing in Christ's justification by faith before God, where James writes about how our faith justifies us in the sight of men, that they know our faith is real because it works out into our everyday life. And one of the ways that genuine faith should be exhibited, one of the ways, is by our continued faith in the midst of the trials of life. Listen to James chapter 1 as I read verses 1 through 12 once again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. In James 1 through 12, James again is reminding us that a living faith will joyfully believe that God 
is providentially working in the midst of his trials. He's told us in verses two through four about the optimism, the spiritual optimism that we should have in the midst of trial. We understand that trials are real. We will meet them in life whether we want to or not. We understand that our responsibility in trial is to count it all joy. We understand that the results of our trials are in God's hands and he is using our trials to bring about endurance, steadfastness in our life so that we may be perfect and complete in every way. But this morning, James is going to remind us that in the midst of trial, we often need to ask God for wisdom. That in the midst of trials, we will find that there are decisions that need to be made. There are responses that will come out of, uh, out of those trials. And James is telling us if we lack wisdom, ask of God. And he says, he will give it to you. To me, that's a wonderful promise. That in the midst of my trials and your trials in life, that we have a God who will generously give wisdom to those who ask for it. To me, it's important to keep verse 5 in context, and this morning I'm only looking at verse 5. It's important to keep it in context because James is talking about the necessity of wisdom in the midst of trials. Certainly, verse 5 is true at all times. That is, God is always a God who will give wisdom to his people when they ask for it. But James's concern is our need of wisdom in those times of life when we are being tested, when life is difficult, when things are severe that are trying our faith and we are asking perhaps why or what or how should I survive in this trial? James wants us to think about our responses to the trials of life and how we must depend upon God for guidance as we make difficult decisions at times in the midst of trials. What decision will I make during my trial that will honor God, that will accomplish his purposes in my life, that will further his purposes in this world. So as we look at our brief text this morning, there are four questions I want to ask and answer. What is wisdom? When James says, if you lack wisdom, what is wisdom? Secondly, why seek wisdom? Why would we need to cry out to God in the midst of our trials and why seek wisdom from God, number three. And then fourthly, where do we find this wisdom? How do we obtain it in life? If any man lacks wisdom, what is wisdom? Remember that James is a Jew 
And he's writing primarily to believing Jews, those who have come to see that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. And James as a Jew and the recipients of this letter as a Jew would understand the Old Testament as the context for understanding what is wisdom. They would go to books like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or many of the Psalms, which we would call wisdom Psalms. And they would understand that wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is the skill to live life by God's design. Wisdom is the skill to live life by God's design. The Old Testament wisdom writers understood that the creator, redeemer God, who is sovereign over all things, has put order in the universe. That the world we live in is an ordered world. It has rules, it has laws that God has put into the world, into the natural world, into the moral world, into the spiritual world. And a wise man is one who lives according to God's design for the world. For instance, you don't create the law of gravity. You discover it. You find out that God has put this law in the universe. And a wise man is a man who does not jump out of a 10-story window because he knows the law of gravity. He lives according to that. If you read the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs touches on so many aspects of life. And a wise man will understand that there are laws about money. There are laws about the use of your tongue. There are laws about sex. There are laws about family. There are laws that touch on every area of life that God has established. And a wise man is one who lives by God's design. We all want to gain the skill to live by God's design. But we want to go beyond simply discovering those laws about how God has ordered the universe. Because in some sense, even non-believers discover that there are laws that govern life. But that is still not wisdom. Because true wisdom always begins with worshiping the God who established those laws. True wisdom begins in a heart that recognizes the glory of this God and submits to him as the one who has ordered and ordained every aspect of the world. From a wisdom perspective, you cannot have a true perspective of anything in life. You may have the facts right, but you will not have an appreciation of those facts unless you first fear God. You can discover the law of gravity as a non-believer. 
But as a believer, you not only discover the law of gravity, you worship the God, you praise the God who established that law and the goodness of that law. We know that men can have baccalaureate degrees and graduate degrees. They may be knowledgeable and smart in, any, in many ways. They can accumulate knowledge, but that is not wisdom. Wisdom is worshiping the God who has ordered the universe and living skillfully by God's design. Proverbs puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So wisdom is the skill to live life by God's design. But why do we need to seek wisdom? James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so our text indicates that it's possible, very possible, that believers in the midst of trial may do things that are foolish. They may make foolish decisions and have foolish responses. They may lack wisdom to live skillfully in the midst of their troubles in life. We need wisdom because we can see the evidence of it in our own lives and actions at times. Many times when we are in trials, we're asking, why me? Why now? Why does life have to happen this way? We know that we lack wisdom when our trials have overwhelmed us to a point of indecision. We don't know what to do. We know that we lack wisdom when our trials have so overwhelmed us that we are depressed to the point of inaction. We know that we lack wisdom when we look back and we see the poor decisions we made that only complicated the situation we were in. We know that we lack wisdom when in the midst of our trial we hurt people by shutting them out or by attacking them and blaming them. We know that we lack wisdom when we don't consider it a joy when we fall into various trials. We know that we lack wisdom when we are seeking ungodly means of comfort in the midst of our trial. When we go to alcohol or drug abuse or pornography or illicit fantasy or a spending spree in order to soothe our, our, our soul, we lack wisdom because we are not living skillfully by God's design. We know that we lack wisdom in the midst of our trials when we, find com we do not find comfort and the promise of the gospel and how the gospel establishes our identity and transforms our character and, and keeps us on mission. If I'm not focused on the gospel, then I'm not very wise in the midst of my trials. We need wisdom because we need to discern in the midst of trial what is important and what is not. 
And certainly one thing that should guide us in the midst of discerning what is important and what is not is the great commandment. The two great commandments. Jesus said, love God, this is first. And love your neighbors yourself, this is second. But what happens in trial? Where does our attention, our concern often go? It turns inward. But a wise man will discern, how do I love God more in the midst, midst of this? How will I, through this, come to love others and show love to others? We need wisdom in the midst of trials to discern what decisions need to be made immediately. And sometimes there are decisions that must be made now. You can't put them off. But we also need wisdom to discern which ones need to be delayed. It's always wise in the midst of trial not to make life-altering decisions in the midst of the pressures of trial unless that life-altering decision is today I will repent of my sin and trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Today I will surrender to Christ as Lord of my life. But for the most part, life-altering decisions should not be made in the pressure of trial. We need wisdom in the midst of trial to discern God's design for my life in the midst of this trial. As I said last week, God is our personal trainer. And he is taking us through a routine of discipline in our life to make us the people that he wants us to be. I need wisdom in the midst of trial to understand how the death and resurrection of Christ and how my union with Christ sustains me and gives me joy in the midst of trial. I need wisdom in the midst of trial to discern what is God accomplishing? What part of my character does he wish, wish to develop? Where does he want to move me forward in my service to him? We need to understand that nothing in my life as a Christian, nothing is isolated from the God who is working all things according to his will. I think one of the ways I've seen this most wonderfully displayed is in the lives of David Pollison and John Piper. Some of you have read the article they co-authored. If not, I encourage you to Google Don't Waste Your Cancer and put PDF by it, and you can get a free copy of this article, originally written by John Piper when he was diagnosed with cancer. And this was his response to the cancer that God had allowed to come into his life. And David Paulison, a Christian counselor who is now with the Lord, who died of cancer, uh, read John Piper's article, and he then added to it his own thoughts about 
God's gift of cancer to them. Don't waste your cancer, he said. And I've sort of tweaked it a little bit, but the points they make are good points in the midst of any trial, not just cancer. One of the points they make is that when you're suffering, you need to believe that your suffering is designed for you by God. You wake up and you're diagnosed with prostate cancer. What is your response? Well, John Piper sits down and says, now I have to think about this in light of the gospel. And so he concludes, first of all, that my suffering is designed by God for me. Secondly, we need wisdom to believe that our suffering is a gift and not a curse. Thirdly, we need wisdom to seek comfort from God. And he says it this way, rather than your odds. You know, with cancer, you look up, you know, what kind of cancer do I have? What is the survival rate? How many years can I live? And, and uh, you try to find your comfort in your odds. And Piper says, no, we need wisdom to find our comfort in God alone. The odds change, but God never changes. You need wisdom in your suffering. He says, if you refuse to think about death, you must face the reality, you might die. And what does that mean? How do you look at that in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? You need wisdom. If you think that beating suffering means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. Piper says that Satan's and God's design in your cancer are not the same. Satan's design is to destroy your love for Christ. God's design is to deepen your love for Christ. Cancer does not win if you die. Cancer wins if you fail to cherish Jesus Christ. Your suffering does not win if suffering ends your life. Your suffering only wins if you fail to love Christ more in your suffering. They go on to say you need wisdom to spend much time reading about God rather than reading about suffering. You need wisdom to deepen your relationship with others with deep love rather than be driven into solitude in your suffering. You need wisdom in your suffering if you grieve as someone who has no hope. I encourage you to Google, don't waste your cancer. Just retitle it by whatever you're suffering with. Don't waste your COVID-19. Don't waste your financial struggles. 
Don't waste your health issues. Don't waste it because God is at work and ask God for wisdom to see his hand, his gracious hand in your life. But why seek wisdom from God? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. James describes this God of whom we ask wisdom in a couple of different ways. He is a giving God, the God who gives to all without finding fault. He's a giving God. This is God's nature, especially toward his children. Later, James will put it this way. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He is a giving God. How do I know that? Because one day as a, a sinner, a hell-deserving sinner, as a rebel deserving of God's judgment, I cried out in simple faith. I said, God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. And God gave me eternal life. I know he's generous. And if he was generous in giving me eternal life, James says he'll be generous in giving you the wisdom. He's a giving God. He's a generously giving God. Paul put it this way in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, including the wisdom that we need in the midst of trials? He's a giving God, a generous God. He is a gentle God. He gives generously to all without finding fault. God could very rightly say to many of us, if not all of us in the midst of our trials at times, you're just plain stupid. You don't take advice. You don't ask for advice, you make dumb decisions, you're hasty, you're selfish. God could rebuke us up and down a hundred ways, but James says he doesn't find fault. He listens to the cry of his children who are in need of wisdom, and he gives generously without pointing out all of the defects in our life. That's the nature of Jesus. That's the way that we first found him and that's the way that we continue to find him. When we first came to Jesus, we heard his call, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart. 
who I am. I'm gentle. Come to me. And God says, if you need wisdom, come to me. I'm still that gentle God who rescued you in your sin. He's a giving God, a generous God, a gentle God, and a guaranteeing God. It will be given him. Abraham showed us that in even the most unusual, unbelievable times in life, we can trust God's word. the age of 75, God said to Abraham, you're going to have a child. At the age of 80, there was no child. 85, 90, 95, no child. At nearly 100 years of age, a child is born. And I love the way the Apostle Paul describes that in Romans 4. He says that Abraham believed against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Ask of God, James says. It will be given to him. That's God's promise. God's not playing games with us. He's not teasing us, offering us wonderful things like wisdom only to disappoint us. He is saying, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. But lastly, fourthly, how do we receive this wisdom? How does God give us wisdom? And James really does not give us any detail about that. He just simply says, ask of God, it will be given to you. But let me suggest in closing how God gives wisdom to his people. Let me suggest a couple of ways. First of all, he does it in our union with Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you will never know true wisdom because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jesus is not only made unto us our righteousness and sanctification and redemption, but he has made unto us our wisdom. 
And so in union with Christ by faith, you have access to the one who Colossians says, in him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you cannot have true wisdom without union with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we gain wisdom through faith in the word of God. We can receive the word of God in many ways, but if we receive it as the word of God, God's voice to us, we gain wisdom the more we read the word of God. I think that's why Piper says that when you're suffering with cancer as him, don't read so much about suffering with cancer. Read the word of God. Thirdly, we gain wisdom by the work of the Spirit of God in our life as he influences our mind. Ephesians 1, Paul prays that uh, the church of Ephesus might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need in union with the Word of God, the work of the Spirit of God, opening our hearts and minds to understand God's will. But fourthly, we gain wisdom by seeking godly counsel from those who love the Word of God. Listen to Proverbs. Where there is no guidance, a people fail. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Again, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Again, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Some choices you can make on your own. Others need help, advice from those who love the Word of God. As I think of Piper's article and Powelton's comments on his article, I was reminded that Christians are never anywhere by accident. That there is a divine hand, a loving, gracious, sovereign, good, divine hand that is at work, that there are godly reasons, divine reasons, for why we wind up where we are in life. And a wise man is one who is turning his thoughts, turning his heart toward God, and asking him, God, help me to see that you are in everything that's touching my life. Perhaps singing that ancient hymn or thinking through that ancient hymn reminds us that everything about our life is by the hand of God. The hymn goes this way, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, 
Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in the mouth of friends and stranger, Christ in all. James wants us to realize we need wisdom in the midst of suffering. You need wisdom today. And wisdom is available. There is a giving God, a generous God, a very gentle and kind God who guarantees that if you ask, he will give. I know some might say, well, I've asked, but it didn't work. Well, the next couple of verses next week will tell us why perhaps our prayer for wisdom in the midst of trial does go unheard. But if we pray in faith and believe, if we pray in humility and surrender, if anyone lacks wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. It will be given him. Ask and you will receive. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you that all who seek you with sincere and humble faith, find you. That all who come to you in sincere and humble faith never go away dissatisfied. We thank you that every one of your promises is true. Yes, your promise to give wisdom is true if we will but humble ourselves and ask. Your promise to save Sinners, whether they're religious sinners, whether they're rebellious sinners, your promise that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved is true. And I pray this morning, Father, that there are some who are listening would bow their heart before you and simply cry out, God save me. Save me through the work of Jesus Christ. Forgive me and give me a new life. I claim your promise that whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Father, for believers who need wisdom, this morning help them to believe your promise and to come with humble, sincere faith and ask wisdom and receive wisdom in the midst of their trial. Thank you for being a good God, a giving God, a generous God, a gentle God, and a guaranteeing God. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.